Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to part two of this pre-Christmas Advent series called God is Here, and a special welcome also to everybody who's viewing this uh, later or listening to it online. It's awesome. Um, As I mentioned, this is part two of this series, and in case you weren't able to be here last week, I'd like to give you just a really quick synopsis of what this series is all about. God is here with us everywhere we go and everywhere we are. And so that's an amazing truth that we think about, and it is a true blessing that God is always with us. But what we recognize is that at Christmas, God came to earth in a very special way. He decided to take on human flesh and bone and came to be our Savior, his name was Jesus. Now, one of the things that you may not know is that in the years that led up to Jesus being born, the thousands of years or so, that 3,000 years or so leading up to it, that Jesus, I'm sorry, that God appeared to people at other times and in other ways. This series is one, as we lead into that well-known appearance of God, where we're looking at some of those other appearances of God in the Old Testament. And as we do that, it's a very helpful study because we're going to better understand through these four weeks a little bit more about who God is, what's important to him, and more about what his plan is for you and for me. So the other thing we're going to find out through these weeks is that when God appears, he doesn't always look the same. When God appears, he often will give a different feeling or a different impression to the people who are around him. We're going to see how different it is every single week. And so I was thinking about that and how God doesn't always, his appearances don't always feel the same. It made me think of parents and how sometimes parents, we can be the same parent, but we can at times give very different impression to the people around us. So I don't know if it's ever happened to you, but I'll confess for me, there's days as a parent that I've not been the greatest parent. And at times that I've been a little bit uh, crabby and angry with my kids, and sometimes there were things that they did that somewhat led to this, and there were other times where I could have held my emotions a little bit better. Um, I don't know, one example you might think of is where maybe you've had one of those days where you're just really upset with the kids and you're frustrated and you're not using good words, meaning like they're just filled with frustration. And then out of the blue, a neighbor knocks on the door and they saw your car in the, ho- or in the driveway, so they know you're home. So you're forced to have to answer it, right? And you're not in a good place, but as they knock or ring the doorbell and you open the door, in the midst of all that frustration you had with the kid, as you open the door, it's like you're opening the door to an alternative reality. Because in an instant, parents, we have the ability to turn it on. Hey, neighbor, good to see you. And it almost sounds as if what was going on before is that the family was sitting in a circle holding hands, telling each other all the ways they love each other. But you and I know that's not the case, right? Parents, we sometimes do that. And we don't always act or interact in the best way. 
And that's because sometimes, or oftentimes, we are motivated, or our actions or our words can sometimes be motivated by emotion. Now, with God, when he appears, his appearances don't always feel the same, but it's not because God has crabby days. Or it's not because God in some way has sinfully, emotionally reacted, because God has no sin. The reason God appears differently and gives different sort of feelings to the people he appears to is because God always appears not with emotion, but with understanding. He has perfect understanding of situations and circumstances. He has the perfect understanding of people. He perfectly understands what you need. He has a perfect understanding of the future and what your future is like in what it's going to hold. I think of how David wrote, to give this just a little bit more um, meat to it, I think of how David wrote in the Psalms. In Psalm 139, he writes about this perfect understanding of God. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. And then he describes what that knowing looks like. You know when I sit, and you know when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar, you discern my going out and my lying down. You are, Lord, familiar with all my ways. Before a word is even on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. We have a perfect God with a perfect understanding of who we are. He understands what you're thinking in many ways better than we do. And so when you think about God interacting in your life or what he's allowing to happen or what he does in your life, when you think about God showing up, God is here. Our first fill-in, our perfect God always shows up in the perfect way. He never gets it wrong. He never messes up with that. He knows exactly what, he need, what we need. And being that he's almighty, perfect, all-powerful, he shows up in the exact perfect way. Last week, we saw how God showed up in the Garden of Eden. And among other things that God did and said in that first appearance to Adam and Eve after the fall into sin, the most important thing he said, because he knew exactly how to show up in the perfect way, the most important thing he said was a promise to Adam and Eve that he was going to send a Savior. A savior that would come to conquer sin, to conquer death, and to conquer the power that the devil might have over us. Well, our appearance of God today, in part two, is somewhere between two and three thousand years after the Garden of Eden. And who we're meeting today in our text are two people, many of you have probably heard their names. Their names, they're a couple, a husband and wife, Abraham and Sarah. They lived about 2,000 years before Christmas, before Christ was born. And a little bit of background on Abraham and Sarah. So God called them to move from Ur, you are, kind of a funny name, where they had lived, and called them to move to a place called Canaan, which eventually would become part of Israel. And as he sent them, or as he called them to come, Abraham and Sarah, in faith, followed God's calling. And along with sending them, he gave them some promises. He said, I want you to go to Canaan, and first thing is this, I'm going to someday give Canaan to you. It's going to be your place. You're going to own it. Number two, Abraham, you're going to be famous. 
Your name is going to be well known. Number three, Abraham and Sarah, you're going to have a big family. Your descendants are going to be many, he said. And that ultimately, the entire world is going to be blessed because of your family and because of your descendants. Well, guess what? 24 years go by, which for some of you, you're like, that is a really long time, right, kids? For most of us, it's long. It's a long time to wait. And 24 years go by, and guess what? There are still foreigners that live in Canaan. No one's heard of Abraham. Abraham and Sarah don't have a big family. In fact, Abraham and Sarah don't have a single child yet. And here's the topper. Abraham is 99 years old. And Sarah is 89 years old. And you can just imagine as they're struggling with all these promises that God said, if you pick up and move from your hometown in Ur and go to Canaan, I'm going to give you all these things. And then 24 years later, nothing, not one of those things has happened. This is where God shows up. He knew this was a strategic time that he needed to show up, and he did. Genesis chapter 18. The Lord appeared. And I'm going to pause there because this is why this text is part of this series. One of those unique times where God came in a special form to people on this earth. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre. Have you been there before? We all know the great trees of Mamre, right? No, I don't. Well, he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Next verse. Abraham looked up and he saw three men standing nearby. They were travelers. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. So let's make sure that we're understanding what's going on here. So Abraham uh, finds himself having three visitors. They're traveling through, okay? And what Abraham thinks is that they're just three normal travelers. There's nothing that different about them to this point. But what we know is that one of them is God, and then if you read the, other, uh, Genesis, the rest of Genesis 18 and into chapter 19, the other two, we find out, are angels. So we got God and two angels showing up at Abraham's home, which is a tent, as travelers that need some rest. Okay? Next verse. He said, that's Abraham, If I found favor in your eyes, dear travelers, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. I don't know if you noticed, but the theme for today is God is here resting under a tree. That's where we get that. Next verse. Let me give you something to eat, Abraham said, so you can be refreshed and then go on your way, now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. Now, after I read those verses, you're like, are you sure Abraham didn't think that these people were special? I mean, in fact, he calls himself their servant. This has nothing to do with Abraham recognizing this was God and two angels. It has everything to do with their culture. It was a very nomadic living. In fact, the the Bedouin community is still sort of ancestors of this uh, type of living. And what would happen is, as you traveled your entire life and never put down roots in their culture, if a traveler came to your home or to your tent, it was a culture of outrageous hospitality. 
And if someone came, you would make them a meal, you would offer them to stay at your house for a number of days. That just was the culture. This is what Abraham was doing. He was showing the outrageous hospitality of that time and culture. Verse 6. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three sias of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. Verse 8, we're going to have a barbecue. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under the tree. Where's your wife Sarah, they asked him. There in the tent, he said. Now, this probably was the first instance where Abraham started to surmise that these guys might be special. Um, We don't know for sure, but it seems like he never told them his wife's name, and yet they knew it. And we also begin to see that as God appears, he is not appearing primarily here for Abraham's sake. He's showing up for Sarah. There's something he wants to share with Sarah. There's something going on in Sarah's life that God wants to address and to help her with. Verse 10. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, as they were talking, you can kind of visualize this in your brain. As, as Abraham and the three men are talking, Sarah was listening kind of with her ear to the opening of the tent at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. So she hears what's going on. She hears this promise that within a year, she's going to be pregnant with a baby boy. Next verse. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? How old was Sarah? Good jo- you're listening, good job. 89 years old. Yeah, you're right. She, or they're right. She was old. And Abraham, 99 years old. Now here's the interesting thing. Not First of all, we see that Sarah laughed. There's different types of laughs, aren't there? Sometimes it's because something's funny. Sometimes it's because you're irritated, maybe. There's just different types of laughs that a person has. This was not a laughter of enjoyment or happiness. This was a laughter of cynicism and skepticism and doubt and disbelief. I'm 89 years old. And these guys say that within a year, God's promise is going to happen, and I'm going to have a baby. I'm going to nurse a baby at 90 years old. Come on. (laughs) Whatever. That's the type of laugh that Sarah has. It's a laugh of skepticism and of doubt and of not believing that God could do what the men were saying he would do. For the first time, Abraham and Sarah have a timeline as to when the baby would be born. But Sarah is reacting with skepticism 
and doubt. And the thing that she needs to realize, and the thing that we can apply right now is this, this truth about God, our next, our next fill-in. Because God is who he says he is, you can trust that he'll do what he says he'll do. Here's the thing. Sarah believed in God. Otherwise, they would not have moved to Canaan. She believed in God. You see that in her life. She was a God follower. She just in this segment of her life did not believe God and believe his promises. She understood how God was the Lord of the world, but in this segment of her life, she would not believe that God was the Lord of her life. And there's a difference there, believing in God and believing God's promises. Here's the thing. If God is powerful and loving and he knows you like David wrote that he does, and he's filled with grace and he wants the best for you, if he is who he says he is, then we can and should trust that he'll do what he says he'll do. And I don't know any of us that are praying to get pregnant at 89 years old, okay? We might be praying that we get some, get some grandkids or something, And yet, I think there are times that we can relate with where Sarah was at in skepticism and in doubt. Because there's been times where you've had a financial crisis, some really serious health issues, or maybe it's some relational emergencies going on. Things are just not going in your life the way you had wanted and the way that you had hoped. And in those moments, sometimes you might have a Christian friend that says, you know what? God has a plan. God has a plan for you. Or you might hear a pastor preach a sermon that says, God cares for you. He's going to do what's best for you. Have you ever heard messages of that? And you've been in the deep valley of doubt and skepticism, and your only response could be, whatever, it certainly doesn't feel that way right now. It could be that you're hoping for a baby at 89 years old for all that you could care at that moment because you feel that whatever it is you're looking for is going to be just as difficult and just as far as coming to you or receiving as that Sarah did in that moment. We so often see characters in the Bible and we think, I would never do that. And yet when we take a closer look, we find ourselves so often relating to the same challenges and the same doubts and the same sins that they have. We too have had laughters of cynicism and of doubt and knowing who God is, but not trusting he'll do what he has promised. I've got some great news for you. God understands. And he doesn't love our moments of doubt, but he cares and loves you through them. You remember I mentioned earlier that God's appearances don't always feel the same? I want to show you in one example here of how God intimately knows people and comes in a way that they exactly needed. So just a couple chapters before this, in Genesis chapter 15, 
God came to Abraham with the very same promise that they were going to have a child still. We are in Genesis chapter 18. The same promise coming to two different people in two different ways. In Genesis 15, God comes to Abraham in the dead of the night. To Sarah, he comes in the middle of the day. To Abraham, God comes in the form of a blazing fire and billowing smoke. To Sarah, he comes as a traveler with sore feet, resting under a tree. To Abraham, he comes, and his message and his appearance causes Abraham fear and dread. To Sarah, he comes, and he gives a gentle message. He doesn't even talk to her directly at first, but just kind of speaks into the room, and Sarah's listening from afar. Our perfect God shows up in your life and in Sarah's in the perfect way. And here's what he understood. He understood that Sarah's laughter was filled with more than just skepticism and doubt. It was also filled with a deep hurt. Let me show you what I mean. Let's go back to verse 12. We read this earlier. Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn out and my Lord is old. <laughs> At first blush, you see this word and old, and you think Sarah is saying the same thing about herself and about Abraham, but she's not. These are two different Hebrew words. This one means what it says it does, old. Worn out means what it says it is, but let me give you more of the, the color behind it. Worn out has the idea of useless of having zero value, of not being worth anything. And along with the doubt that Sarah had in God's promises, here's what she was also struggling with. She was struggling with the cultural labels at the time that were given and put on women who were unable to have children. In this culture, which was 4,000 years ago, if a woman was not able to have a child, it was as if God hated her, that she had done something wrong, that she was unable to conceive. And so people, I'm sure, were talking about Sarah. And if any of you know Abraham's past and Hagar and all that, there's a lot going on there. But at the end of the day, here's the thing. God knew Sarah, and he understood that he needed to appear in a way that would most speak to her heart in that moment. And so he came as a traveler resting under a tree with sore feet. Verse 13. Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Notice here, when God speaks, he does not use the Hebrew word for useless or having zero value. He's already chipping away at Sarah's impression of herself and reestablishing how he sees her. There's no mistaking, she's old, okay? But she's not useless. She does not have zero value. Next verse. Sarah was afraid. So she lied and said, I didn't laugh. But he said, you did laugh, okay? So Sarah has 
a meeting with God that very few people have. And she laughs at him and lies to him. Not a great start for Sarah and her meeting with God, okay? But do you also notice here again, how does Jesus respond? Like, as a dad, again, I, I hate to say it, but when someone lies to me or whatever, I don't know that I've ever reacted with this gentleness. Maybe I should. Maybe I should know more and, and ask more questions to know where my children are. God doesn't need to ask questions. He just knows. And he knew he needed to be gentle with Sarah, who was feeling the burden of labels, even while she also had sin and the sin of doubt. So he just says, yes, you did. He didn't yell at her, but he pointed, yeah, I caught you. You laughed. What was going on with Sarah? She had let other people dictate how she felt about herself instead of thinking about how God feels about her. She let other people label her than instead thinking about what labels does God have for her. And then she doubted that God could do what he said he would do. Give her a child even if she ends up being 90 years old when it happens. You see, her view of God was too small and she had lost her wonder and the awesome things that God had done. She had let the stresses of life and the broken dreams to take away the wonder of who God is and his love for her. And I think we can relate to that because life is difficult and it doesn't go the way we always want it to. And sometimes it can squeeze out the wonder of what is true. That God loves you immensely and has an awesome, awesome plan for us. So what do you think happened? As God promised a child. Well, got a child, that's good. Sarah got pregnant. And uh, at 90 years old, she becomes a mother for the first time. <laughs> and there's this uh, verse, we could read the whole chapter, but we're just going to take one verse in Genesis chapter 21. It says this, Sarah said, this is after the baby was born, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And this laughter was different. God had changed her laughter from a laughter of doubt and cynicism and skepticism to a laughter of joy and happiness and thankfulness. And she even points out, yeah, there are going to be other people laughing too when they see a 90-year-old uh, person nursing a baby, right? Maybe laughing at her at that point, huh? But God did what he said he would do. And does anyone remember the name that Sarah and Abraham gave to their son? Okay, Isaac, yeah. Does anyone remember, here's the harder question, what that means? Yeah. They, they named their son Laughter. Because it was that moment that Sarah continued to think back to, I'm sure, every time she said her son's name that was such 
a reminder of how she does not need to doubt God ever, but that instead he will fulfill all of his promises to her, even if she is 89 years old. Can you imagine every time she called her son? It's like Isaac's playing on his, uh, you know, um, video game too long, needs to come up for dinner, and she literally says, laughter, come on up. And she's got to be thinking about how God changed her laughter. Laughter, it's time for bed. This was the Hebrew word for laughter. What a what an amazing reminder for her, for her. Number three, God is faithful. That means he carries out his promises to you. God is faithful on his timetable though, not on mine. And maybe sometimes his timetable is that you don't experience the joy and peace you're looking for most of the time actually until we leave this world and enjoy heaven. God is always faithful. He never breaks a promise, but sometimes, it's all the time, it's gonna be on his timetable and not mine. Now, how does this apply to us? I mean, Sarah got what she was hoping for, a baby. No wonder her laughter changed. What about you and me? You know, a lot of times I've heard sermons um, on this section, and it's at this point that the preacher will say something like this. Sarah wanted a miracle. She needed one. And so she just trusted, and she believed. And God gave her what she was hoping for, a child. And for you, if you have a miracle that you want to happen in your life, you just need to trust more. You need to believe harder. You're doubting too much. You need to pray harder and it will happen. Now, there's a lot of things wrong with that application. It's a horrible application. Probably one of the most obvious is it totally gets the main point of the narrative wrong because what was true about Sarah? The whole point of God showing up is that she didn't believe. Sarah didn't believe any of it. That she could get pregnant at 90 years old. God showed up not to have us learn something about Sarah. God showed up that even 4,000 years later that we would still be learning something about God. This is an account not about Sarah's belief, but about God's faithfulness and grace and that you and I can always trust him. So where does and how does our laughter turn? Well, in the New Testament, there's an account that parallels God coming to Sarah. In Luke chapter 1, an angel of God appears to a woman named Mary. Anyone ever heard of her? Okay. She's a young woman, young lady, in her late teens or mid-teens. And the angel shows up and says, hey, uh, Mary, um, you're going to have a son. And you think it's hard having a baby when you have an old husband. Think about how hard it is to have a baby when you have no husband. Because that was Mary, the virgin's situation. 
Mary believed. She didn't understand how it was all going to happen. She didn't understand how God could do such a thing. I don't think we still fully understand. It's a miracle, right? But she believed, and in fact, she, she sang a song about it called the, the Magnificat as she worshiped God for this amazing thing that he was going to do in her. And she gave birth to a son. His name was Jesus. And Jesus was the son, not just for a woman named Sarah or for one family, but Jesus was the son through whom all people, including me and including you, would be blessed and have our laughter changed to that of hope and joy. See, many of us struggle with labels. Not good enough, not smart enough, not successful enough. Screw up, mess up, dork. That was just, I think that's a 90s word. I don't think too many people use it anymore, but anyway. Labels abound. But when Jesus came and went to the cross and suffered the punishment that we deserved, and when he rose again, what God essentially was doing through that son was changing your label. You are now in God's eyes because of Jesus, the son of Mary, the greater Isaac, the better Isaac. You are now beautiful in God's eyes. You are perfect because of Jesus. You are valuable you are part of his family. And not every little thing we may hope for here on earth may we receive through some amazing miracle. But your label has been changed and your laughter can be changed from skepticism and doubt to that of joy and thankfulness. Number four, Jesus is the one who inspires our laughter of joy. And Jesus is the one for whom or why this whole account of Sarah and Isaac was recorded in the first place. Because all of this pointed ahead to the son who would change all of our laughter. So, in closing, two points of application. First of all, because of Jesus, you can laugh at yourself. And what I mean by that is when you look in the mirror, and when I do too, I want you to see the biggest miracle that there has ever happened that a screw-up like me would be called a child of God. I think of Paul, that writer in the New Testament who said, Jesus came to die for sinners of whom I'm the worst, I'm the poster boy, and yet he came for me. There's a lot of things you see when you look in the mirror. I want you to laugh in joy, knowing what God has done in you. That although you see certain warts, God does not see them. He has changed your label. And the second thing is, you can laugh at criticism. I referenced before <laughs> that after Sarah got pregnant and had a child as such an old person that she's like, yeah, people are probably going to laugh over me or at me. That sometimes happens 
we sometimes might receive criticism for following God, for being called a Christian. We might still receive certain labels from the world, but I want you to know where your joy and foundation and peace comes from. And then when it comes, you just laugh at it, knowing who you are and what Christ has done for you. When God shows up, he shows up in the perfect way. And when he showed up to Sarah, he taught us 4,000 years later that our laughter can be that of joy. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for preserving this text from so long ago, not because it taught us great things about Sarah, but instead because it pointed ahead to your son, Jesus, who came at Christmas. When you appear, when you come into our lives, when you work in our lives, you do it in a way that perfectly understands who we are and what we need. We thank you for being so gentle, but at times firm with us and pray that you continue to guide and bless us in every circumstance, every valley, every mountain that we go through and ultimately remind us and show us that we find all that we're looking for in your son Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.